The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon, Mike. Uh, we are here. We have. We are about five days into the season. We have seen some of the best of hockey, some of the most entertaining of hockey. And, of course, Alan Walsh has proven once again that he is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, where or where do we want to go first? Well, you did say that the hockey season has officially started, and I have been celebrating since that day. Uh, I know that oh, there's our musical entertainment. If you hey, I'm celebrating with a bottle of a brand-new-to-me bourbon, and yes, it's nice. <laughs> So let's start with uh, some of the uh, some of the opening game festivities and and some of the good and bad that I've seen uh, of what I have seen the NHL. I want to start by saying I actually like the ESPN. Well, I didn't see the first game. I did see the second game with Bucci Gross and 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 AJ Malesko, and they were very good. Uh, I saw both games. Um, I will say, while I mostly like it, um, someone made the, said that there was a two minute, that we were at the two minute warning in one of the periods and I almost threw up. Yes. Um, Ross did say that at the end of one of the periods. It was so entirely wrong and unnecessary and he should know better. Um, but well, he being the hockey guy over there. Yeah. You would think so. I guess I will just have to expect better of him in the future. His play-by-play was pretty good, though. Uh, I'm not quite sure if I want to think of their little um, segment called The Rush, where they don't say anything and they allow you to hear the fans and they allow you to hear the players on the ice. And it's nice to hear that they have communication and you hear them yelling back and forth at each other. Uh, But part of me thought that was a little bit of pandering. I'm okay with that. I would literally, I would, as much as I like certain... Certain uh, announced teams, even including the local guys, mm-hmm. there are sometimes I just want to hear the play. Like I want to feel, I want to feel the vibe of the stadium. I want to hear the players. I want to hear stick on puck, skate on ice, body on body. I need, I want that experience. It makes me more excited, and I pay more attention to the game. And that's the difference between obviously watching it at home and going to the game itself, because obviously you don't have play by play at the game. So you have to pay attention. You're forced to know what's going next to. Yeah. Well, yeah, unfortunately that's true too. Uh, I mean, admittedly there are somewhat less shouts of uh, shoot the puck, um, shoot the puck, (laughs) shoot the puck, every power play when you're at home usually. But um, yeah, you will run into the play by play in the stands here and there. But it was enjoyable, and on opening night, we had the Golden Knights versus the Kraken. 31 versus 32. And at first, obviously, at first I thought, okay, this is ugly for the Kraken. They were down at one, they finally get down at 1.3 to nothing. And I'm like, oh, this is just not going to turn out well. But the Kraken did not give in. They they fought their way back, and all the way back to a tie. Of course, 35 seconds later, they give up the game winner. But hey, 
Um, they actually, they actually, they wanted it. It wasn't like they would just, and I wouldn't expect that they would just show up and mail it in, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a, oh, it's a, it's an expansion team. They're just going to, you know, do whatever they, they really wanted it. it. It became a very entertaining game in the second half, so to speak, you know, from the 10 minute period of the second, 10 minute mark of the second period. So the second half of the game became very entertaining. Mm-hmm. They got more physical. Tanev really started to get into his get into his own. And, and he's. Go ahead. Go ahead. Donato, no, I was just going to say he scored. He's actually scored a couple of goals now. Donato scored the first goal in, in crack in history. Absolutely. Uh, and it was actually I mean, it was nice. He was fighting in front of the net. He didn't he didn't seem to be the guy who was in front of the net here in Boston. Um, no, didn't need but to be, he's I had guess. a couple of years of maturity, uh, to sprinkle in with his, uh, sought with his great hands and his skating ability. Um, and the Kraken, the Kraken are, you know, one, one and one, uh, through their first three games. Um, they're going to have a bunch of games on the road. I believe it's 12 to open the season. Yeah, they still have. They won't. They won't have their first home game until after they have five in a row on the road before they get to go home. Uh, they're number two in their division right now. They are ahead of Vancouver <laughs> and San Jose, um, which oh wait, probably California some, teams. Oh, wait. Uh, they're ahead of all three California teams, but um, the Edmonton Oilers are two and zero uh, to start the season ahead of them. Um. Overall, I thought that the two games were better than I was expecting when I looked at the schedule. Um, I was I was legitimately afraid that these were going to both turn into like seven to one pastings and uh, by the by the on paper better teams, uh, because let's remember, Pittsburgh did not have Crosby, did not have Malkin, did not have Gensel. And they won six to two over the champions. Clearly they did. Hangover. And then Seattle battled through. Uh, a lot of Seattle fans will say that they were um, they were <coughs> rudely used on a given on a call on the Stevens goal did and you, say that it was kicked in. And how did you feel on that? Because I have I actually have my opinion on it. And based I, on what I've seen in the past, yeah, I am not surprised that it was not overturned. He moved his skate forward. The skate changed angle. Um, the puck did go in off of that angled foot. He clearly he clearly moved his foot and directed it into the net, though. He angled his foot, but as far as a kicking motion, because remember, he's moving forward the entire time. He's in yeah. contact with another player the entire time. Right. Based on the replay and the wording of the rule that says it has to be a distinct kicking motion, I am not surprised by the ruling. No, and, and you're right. He did not swing his foot back and forward to kick it. And as I tweeted that night uh, in reply to someone who was slightly cheesed off, um, <laughs> I think it's exactly the type of play that builds rivalries. 
Okay, fair enough. And 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 from that standpoint, I like it. I think that if you are supposed to score the goal with your stick, and in hockey, the stick is this isn't soccer. You don't use your feet to score. This is hockey. You're supposed to use your stick. You can't supposed use your. To, but about ten percent, maybe not quite ten percent, but I would say certainly five to seven percent of goals going off of people's butts, people's knees, people's hips, uh, people's chest. You know, their for uh, their forearm bouncing off their back. Okay. Double and triple directed um, after after an actual shot. If you're not going to disallow any of those for being indirect um, or not being off the stick, I don't know how you can disallow that one. That said, had it been overturned, I wouldn't have been that surprised. And that's my only thing is that it, it just – where do you draw the line? I mean distinct to me is kind of subjective because – Okay, if he draws his foot back, how far does he have to draw it back? Does it have to look like he's really kicking at it, or can he just make like a real subtle kind of like twisting of the heel? Because that's a kicking motion. You can twist your heel at it and knock it in. Okay. Uh, Assume a good piece of CGI completely removes the puck from the replay of the motion of his foot. Do you assume that he's kicking at anything? No, I assume that he's directing it because if you watch it, that's what he no, did. No, no, you can't see the puck at all. The puck never is on the screen. If all you're looking at is his feet, do you assume that he's kicking at something or simply trying to maintain balance, move, uh, hold off another player? You could go that way, yeah. I and that's and that's where I come down, and that's where I have feelings on the side of letting it stand. Okay. Uh, That's a good argument. I like it. Um, that said, I, I'm not really upset at the people in this case who think that it was absolutely a a distinct kicking motion. Um, I think that they're seeing with their heart and not their eyes. But uh, oh. I can understand from the physics of the situation and the result on the scoreboard why they would think that. But like you said, like you said, the more important thing is that that particular could be the first building block in what you would call a rivalry, because now you've got some reason to dislike outside of the fact that outside of the fact that they just happen to be the expansion team before you. You've got a reason to dislike Vegas now. Absolutely. Um, One of the other really fun stories of the of the opening night uh, for the league, Brian Boyle's return to the NHL uh, did not play at all last season. Um, came in and scored a goal in his first game back. And this is not a young man. I like, I, I oh, kind no. of expected that when he said he wasn't going to play last year, that he was, I thought done he was for duration. Yeah. Um, and he came in, he came into Pittsburgh on a uh, professional tryout agreement, having again having not played last year. Thirty-six years old will be thirty-seven in what uh, eight weeks exactly mm-hmm. um, on December eighteenth. Six foot six, two hundred and forty-five November. pounder. 
No, eight weeks, December 18th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, eight weeks. Math is working today. And he gets the first goal, or maybe it was the second goal of the season for a franchise who has won a good number of uh, of Stanley Cups. By the way, uh, Denton Heinen scoring a goal in the first game of the season? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is uh, probably a good place to jump into our second topic. Yes. Um, I think that Don Sweeney had, I think the evidence as of right now stands at Don Sweeney having, um, Uh-oh. a less than positive off season. Uh, in fact, you might go so far if you're of a particular event to call it an awful, terrible, no good, bad off season. Um, uh-huh. and you're upsetting a lot of people right now. I'm okay with that. They're allowed to be wrong. Uh, no, I, I and and I believe me, I think they're wrong as well. I I think that it starts with and it all starts with Krejci, but that's not the only problem. That's not the only problem. Uh, we talked about uh, Ryan Donato, former Boston Bruin, already uh, having a, having the first goal in Kraken history mm-hmm. and looking like a real live professional NHL player who's he, looked, he actually looked good in that game. He he was engaged. He was. He was physical when he needed to be. He, he wasn't he, cutting corners, um, no. which is an issue he had here. Um, you have Denton Heinen also scoring a night a goal on uh, for Pittsburgh on a night when their big stars, their three best forwards, are out of the are out of the lineup. Going into that game, the line on that on that particular matchup even allowing for the Stanley cup hangover, even allowing for uh, Tampa Bay's um, lost players. No one. I don't really think that very many people predicted Pittsburgh was going to win. Well, and yet they did because Danton Heinen showed up and showed out. Uh, Then you have, that's two guys who were in Boston Bruins uniforms rather recently, yeah. and Ryan Donato's goal. Any care? Any guesses to who it? Uh, who the primary assist was from? Uh oh, wait. It was that Jeremy Lozon kid, wasn't it? Nope, it was Vince Dunn. Oh right, Vince Dunn, the one that uh, from St. Louis that I. That we should have Boston cried. was linked to a couple of times in the media. Yeah. And Oops. then, of course, what happened last night when the Bruins opened the season? What happened? Was it that? Well, not the not the guy that they paid big money for. It was the uh, the rookie kid. It was the rookie, not the guy that they spent five million dollars on uh, to bring in to apparently be a backup. Um, who had a terrible, terrible preseason. Yeah, he struggled. Not Look, I thought Lena Solmark did great things in Buffalo. I wasn't necessarily against I, this move. It's all the numbers. I mean, I, I, my, you, you were right last week when we talked about this, and you're like, oh, you know, you loved him more than I did and all that. Yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers and that he put up behind a, a non-existent defense or an almost. I mean, they had Ristolainen, but – almost non-existent defense and he puts up uh, 
decent numbers. I mean, I'm not going to say they're elite because that 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 word no. can only be used for Tuca. Um, Ags, absolutely. But they were. I mean, even a, even a high teen, even a high you know teens, you know nine ninety nine nineteen nine nine eighteen nine twenty whatever it was. I'm thinking you put him behind a really good defense. And yeah, he's going to need a little bit of time for communication. That's why they have training camp and preseason. Absolutely, and I'm okay with that. Just no, it was it was not. Uh, it was ungood. Yes, ungood is a fair description. Um, and then then there's the guy. Then there's another guy that they failed to trade for. Um, in three games, he has two points, a goal, and an assist. Oliver Ekman Larson. Oh, he's in uh, that van. He's on. He's on the West Coast in Vancouver. Yeah. Yep. He but has. We, we had almost exclusive. I mean, we it was just us and one other team. We had it was almost two teams. Ex- That's it. Two exclusive opportunity to acquire this young man, and he is still young. He's still a young player. He's still got all the tools that make him a very, very, very effective uh, two-way defenseman. And he couldn't close the deal. Could not close the deal. So in the last year and change, Don Sweeney has apparently mm, had conjugal visits with a canine on the Donato deal. Um, had similar dealings with Danton Heinen, who I always who I think that they misused in the lineup. I think that Danton Heinen and I said this, his I said this the first time I laid eyes on him on the ice. Um, I probably in development camp, but I said this is the new uh, PJ Axelson. PJ Axelson will work his would uh, as a player would would skate himself until he was sweating blood to get whatever he could done. But you didn't rely on him to be your top five, six, seven guys for offense. Right. He played on the third line and he was awesome at it. He played on the penalty kill and he was awesome at it. I think that Danton Heinen, if they had screwed him to the third line and said, dude, be a great two way player, you know, be effective, be useful in your own zone, be highly effective in the other two thirds of the ice, and we're not taking you we're not taking you out of uniform. He would still be here as a Boston Bruin. And paid less than some of the guys that they paid noticeably well over the offseason. Oliver Ekman Larson, the name speaks for itself. Watch, go back and watch some of the footage of him with, quite frankly, a bunch of scrubs uh, on the Coyotes and him playing effectively. If you don't think that he is a very strong addition to your top four, regardless of where you would put him in that top four. You don't understand hockey. And that one Thanks bothers me more. That one bothers me more than most, just because you have almost exclusive. Yes, it was one other team. You have almost exclusive bargaining power. Yep. Or or rights to bargain or whatever, because he yep. only wanted to come either here or I forget where the other one was at this point. I don't remember. And I don't. And that was it. it. You know, he had, he had narrowed it down. I think it started out as four, but the other two either couldn't afford it or didn't have the capital or whatever it was. You have almost exclusive and you fail. And all the only thing he asked was that it had to be done by whatever that Monday was at 8 p.m. And you couldn't get it done. 
And the other thing that bothers me is, again, back to the whole crazy thing, claiming that you still – he said how many times in how many different languages that he's not coming back. And you seem to be focused on the fact that he might come back. How That's times- one of the most ridiculous and utterly bonkers things I've seen a front office do in my entire lifetime of watching sports. So if you want to throw names on there, Dvorak going to Montreal would be a division rival, your key rival, your original six rival, the oldest, most storied team in the league got someone that you probably should have gotten. And look, I'm a big fan of Charlie Coyle. I do make fun of the media for the number, the thousands of times that they pointed out in his first (laughs) six months in the Bruins uniform that he was from Weymouth. Uh, East Weymouth? But. (laughs) The kid's got the goods. He can play hockey. I will never doubt his effort. I will never, ever doubt his will to win. He's got a reasonable skill set. But I think he's, if you're asking me if I think that he's a top 50% second line center or a top 15% third line center. I'm going to say top 15% third line center and happily go on my way. I just think I, I just think they needed more of a playmaker in that second line center spot because that's what Krejci was. Krejci was a distributor first. Yes. He scored goals. But he was a he seemed to be a distributor first, and that's what Hall needed. And you signed Hall to score the goals. Correct. So you needed somebody who can get him the puck to score those goals. And as much as I love Charlie Coyle, I don't know that he's as good a distributor as Krejci was. I don't know that he's as good a distributor as Dvorak is. No, I. I'm not saying that with heavy concentration on that, he can't be there by the end of the season. At least as good as Dvorak, but I put Krejci effectively in a class of his own in the past twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and don't I get me wrong, was, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I called him Houdini for a reason. He did disappear at times for more than one or two games at a time, but, but in the was, playoffs he was a performer. He was magical the rest of the t- uh, most of the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I think this counts as a big black eye for Sweeney. Yes, we're four or five days into the season, but your five million dollar goaltender not on the ice. Um, Jack Sednika, who you had been touting all off season for his work ethic, his improved strength, his improved conditioning, the explosiveness of his skating, and you send him down on the last day. You send him to Providence. Um, John Beecher was, again, injured in camp and injured in the offseason, so didn't really get a good look at him, and he's in college anyways. Yeah, back in Michigan. You don't see any really significant free agents aside from Olmark, and Olmark is not endearing himself to the fan base yet. Oh, he threw a big hug around. Did you? I mean, I don't know if you watched the end of the game. You know, 
he skates out on the ice because everybody's congratulating and he comes right up and throws this big hug on Swayman, big smile on his face. Great team guy. And being on this team as opposed to Buffalo, I can see why he feels that way. But it should have been him in the net to begin with. If you're basing it on experience and payment and Mm -hmm. payment, he should be seeing 70 percent of the starts. 75 percent even. As of as of today, he has started zero percent of the games this season. That's a pretty round number. It is. It's easy math, which is why I can do it so quickly. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I just, I, I don't get it. Yeah, he's, he, I, I, I knew he had boggled. I mean, Vince Dunn. I didn't, ca- I didn't catch the, I, I didn't catch the Vince Dunn one. I mean, is Jeremy Lozon going to be? He had to make a choice, and I'm glad. I, I'm still glad he kept Clifton. I don't know. I think that's a. That, I he think didn't I almost, keep Clifton. Uh, the other team chose Lozon. Yeah, that's that's yeah okay. And I don't necessarily blame Seattle. Lozon's a little bit bigger, and he was being used in more situations. That said, Clifton has not looked at all. He's not looked at all bad. I mean, Um, he's firing pucks on net. He's a little more engaged offensively. We'll talk about this again in a couple of weeks. But are you surprised that Matt Grizzlick is somehow on the third pair. Just a little bit. I do I not don't. get it. I do not I, want to get it. I mean, statistically, they were the best defensive pairing in the league last year. Those are numbers that I was he- that I heard all season. Oh, look at this number and 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 this number. And don't forget that stat over there. They're the best defensive pair in the, in the league. They're the best defensive pair in the league. How come they're not a pair now? And are we talking about the Hall of Famer and Grizzly? The Hall of Famer and Grizzly, yes. The Hall of Famer who just got his brand new nine and a half million dollar eight year contract. Well, in in response to the Matt Grizzly comment, I will refer you to the Vegas Golden Knights tweet. Uh where it says final stats 31 to 30 uh, Seattle out shooting uh, 0 for 3 for both teams on power play 48 to 52 uh, Vegas actually won the faceoff battle the hits battle went to Seattle and as at the top it says clearly stats spelled backward is still stats you can make a statistic say anything you want it to say so all these people that throw the stats at you about this and this and this and this and Grizzlick's the best. And I love I, I for a what was he a fourth round pick? Something like that, yeah. I mean, he's he's probably one of the top two defensemen on the Bruins. The other one being I think he's Brandon. the best rounded defenseman on the Bruins and the other people, one being Brandon Collar. <laughs> people said uh interesting things to me when I pointed this out. Uh, about a week ago. Really? What interesting things? Oh, you can go and look at Twitter. It's uh, not worth repeating. It okay, was actually a third round pick, 85th in 2012. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not. 
yeah, no. I don't get it. It's he should be if if you feel that way about him, he should be playing more minutes. I don't know about him and and I know that they have chemistry. They played together at BU. They've been playing together for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I know that Cassidy throws them together in certain situations. Mm-hmm. But is that because of Grizzlick's faults and and uh, you know mishaps? I think or it's is the that pure the- chemistry and the fact that Grizzlick is highly mobile. I, I think that in 360 degree movement, he is still the best on the Bruins uh, blue line, and I. I think we should take a look at that because I don't know if the if the current pairings are going to last for the Bruins. Yes, they did a decent job of suppressing shots through the first two periods against um, Dallas. Mm-hmm. But they still ended up allowing close to 30 shots. Okay. The third period was not pretty in that in in the in terms of shot suppression. And, and of course, the it, Bruins still had ridiculous issues solving Braden Holtby. Uh, I don't know what it is about Braden Holtby. I don't know what it is. But if the, if Grizzlick is your, and it leads to the second point you made, if Grizzlick is the best round, the the most well-rounded best defenseman, whatever, second best defenseman, they just gave nine and a half million dollars per year. Charlie McAvoy earned every dollar of that and clearly took a hometown discount, hometown discount. Just ask. Well, I have, I actually have an answer for that because I I did not find it on Twitter sphere, but it is, there is a fan sided uh, article by Ryan Whitley, which claims, and I'm going to try and read this with a straight face. Charlie McAvoy extension is a steal. Um, my did first he comp- use the correct spelling of the word steel, uh, S T E A L steel. So not the collection of Ferris metal. This is true. My first thought when I read that was for Charlie McAvoy. Absolutely. <laughs> Based and on then- market value of similar defensemen. And reputation. Mm-hmm. This isn't nearly as bad a deal as I was afraid, because I honestly thought it might come in north of 10. Ah, it says right here, I'll start by saying this. At this very moment, McAvoy isn't quite a $9.5 million player. But looking that at I the would contract, agree with. But looking at the contract, but... I'm going to say uh, he's amazing and by far the best defenseman the Bruins have. <clears throat> I'm still Keep doing going. this with a, still doing this with a straight face. Keep going. Yep. But, yep. But looking at the contract just from today's standpoint makes it seem like a bit of an overpay. In reality, it's anything but. Reality. This guy is an absolute stud. Oh, keep going. Keep going. I don't want to. <laughs> He's a minute-eating two-way defenseman who should have done better than he did in last year's Norris Trophy voting. <coughs> Wait, you mean when the, 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 all the, the people the straight who... face is gone? The straight... 
every year he has improved and become more reliable on defense while simultaneously expanding his offensive game. And that is why this deal is so great. We know what McAvoy's floor is, but we have no clue just how high his ceiling can be. Once again, he's only 23. Um, okay. One of the things they claimed when he was first brought on the team was that he learns from his mistakes and and he seldom, if ever, makes the same mistake twice. Oh, okay. Would, would that be in the same game or would that be in the same season? Because I was I've seen in the same period, but okay. I've seen him make the same mistake in the same period more than once. Getting turned around playing the wrong man as, as he's facing a, a three on two or a two on one, choosing to go after the choosing to defend the wrong player uh, instead of passing it up the boards. He goes, tries to go cross the cross the, the slot area. I, I've seen him make some very uh, fixable mistakes. And I'm that, not saying that, that is other a fascinating bit of, t- uh, of terminology to use. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm not sure I could have come up with anything as genteel on the fly. Uh, <laughs> very good. With this massive extension, massive, the V's have made it clear that McAvoy is the guy going forward. The in capital letters. Oh, I'm sure that they do believe that. <laughs> well, this, could this be yet another Sweeney uh, faux pas? Sweeney's, yes. As we've seen, the Bruins have under have been undergoing a changing of the guard. Most of the old core is gone now. First, Dano Chara, then with the bell seemingly ringing for Tuka Rask, and finally with Krejci returning to the Czech Republic. Only holdovers are those two guys named Bergeron and Marchand. Uh-huh. And, and and if you watched Marshand yesterday, um, he was ridiculous. He was yes, it, that was just a beauty, a beauteous thing to watch. Bruins fans want to admit, although no Bruins fans want to admit it, both of those guys realistically only have a few seasons left. So this guy likes to report the actual truth once in a while too. Excellent. Uh, so who's better to eventually take up the captaincy that the guy that Chara took under his wing in the final season in Boston? It seems like the perfect continuation to me, and I have to believe that's what the Bruins are planning. Charlie McAvoy, the next captain of the Bruins? That's what I've heard. Okay. Apparently so. the Bergeron uh, era is going to be short-lived. Really? That's something near 20 years. Oh, no, I absolutely love this deal. McAvoy is young, proven, and improving every year. By year three of this extension, people around Boston will be wondering how Sweeney convinced him to sign for less than $10 million a year. There you go. You wanted somebody to call it a hometown discount. Without using those words, this guy did. Woo! I'm sorry. I don't see it that way. Charlie McAvoy, a, a decent defenseman, could be a middle pairing defenseman. I don't yeah. know that he's this top notch Norris Trophy winning. I mean, we haven't given a Norris Trophy to Seth Jones yet, and Seth Jones is clearly better than Charlie McAvoy. 
I'm waiting for the argument. Um, I don't have an argument because I love Seth Jones, and I think that Charlie McAvoy is um, (coughs) not quite at that level. Thank you very much. And And I've been on the Seth Jones train for quite some time. uh, Nashville Predators, rookie year. Yeah. Actually, when he was in the O, I'm sure, but... Yeah, I just don't say. And now they're making the same amount of money. It's just I don't get it. If they if they had gotten away with signing him for like seven, even eight, maybe at eight million, I wouldn't have blinked and said, "Okay, let's roll." Nine and a half. I just don't see it. Nope, not even close. Um. Speaking of contracts, uh, Brady Kachuk also managed to sign a new deal. Yes, finally broke and finally broke broke away and and came back to Effectively Ottawa. Effectively, after the start of the season. Yeah. Um, a little over eight and cha- or a little over eight two over the course of his contract, all in salary, not in signing, no signing bonuses, which is a little bit different than uh, um. Then McAvoy's deal, which has two to three million dollars in signing bonuses. So, you know, payment early July, regardless of what sort of shape he's in at camp or anything. It's just you're still you still have a pulse. Here's a couple of million dollars. Have fun. Um, 21, 22. I think he's 20. uh, McAvoy, I think it's 23, 24 at this point. No, no, no. Kachuk. Oh, Kachuk. And for seven years, 57 and a half, he's getting uh, slightly over eight, like you said, 8.2. Correct. Um, 22. So he'll still be under 30, approaching 30, however you want to word it. So that was part of my question about this. One of of my questions about this contract. Yes. You could just go for eight. If you're the team and you want to keep him, you expect him to stay healthy because he's reasonably durable. Why didn't you just go for eight here? I mean, is the GM's deal up at that point and he wants to be able to take him with him or sign him at the next uh, location? Um, I I don't get why this is only a seven-year deal in this case. And yes, I mean, seven years is not a short period of time. Anything can happen, and in the NHL, as fast as it moves, anything can happen two or three times. So why, why, why wouldn't you? Uh, because seven is your lucky number and eight isn't. I, I I don't have an answer for this one, unfortunately. It is, it is in fact, Brady's jersey number, so maybe that's the reason it's a seven-year deal. Maybe. That would, that would just be a little too... Um, Strange. Sad. I, I, oh, that came out loud. <laughs> yes, it did. Hey, he he led he led the team. Uh, he played in all fifty six games last season. Led the Senators in scoring with thirty six points. Also had a team high sixty nine penalty minutes. So he's clearly not a. a, a he's not the shy retiring type. Yeah. I don't understand why you don't just get him to 30 and, and give him the eight, but I don't, yeah, I, I can't even find an explanation for it anywhere. 
And this is such a center loaded contract too, because next season or this season, he's only earning 4 million next year at 6.5. And then he's got three years at 10 and a half million. And then he takes a precipitous dive back to eight and a half and then down to seven in the last two years of the contract. And I, I was scratching my head the first couple of times I looked at it. Yeah. And I'm still scratching my head now. Between the number of years, the way the salary is structured, because quite frankly, I don't expect even Brady Kachuk to be better at 25 than he will be at 28. And I don't expect the difference between 28 and 29 to be a $2 million a year difference. Uh, yeah. Uh, Just weird. Are you saving the money for some reason? I, I mean, are you really expecting some prospects that you'll draft this year to be hitting the league that year and need uh, or to need a uh, a bridge deal at that point? I, I don't know. Now, did I miss something or did his brother also sign an extension with Calgary? Um, off the top of my head, I do not remember. Or were they just talking? Maybe they were just talking extension. There's always talk. I mean, this is the last year of his current deal. He's yes, making- uh, they, they were just talking. So Brady will be a free agent at the end of an RFA with arbitration rights, which means that he is offer sheet eligible at the end of the season. Um, Matthew will be arbitrating. Offer sheet eligible, Matthew Kachuk. Hmm. Very. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> See, but I don't expect that certain local general managers would consider going that route either. So. No, uh, this would be one of those things you just don't tell them. You send a couple of. You send off some uh, some way of dispatching something, and then you move on. Okay. I just I I don't understand the seven years versus eight. Why not just go for the eight? Or if you're not going for the eight, just go for six. Uh, but like seven seems aggressively non-committal to me. Even though it's seven whole years, yeah, I get what you're saying. Seven years, and I think it runs through either the year of or the year after the next CBA expiration. Make of it what you will. Fair enough. Where to next? Well, we got got this, this overhanging story for the whole season. Certain uh, certain guy in Washington kind of chasing a record here, and whether he's going to get there or not, is it possible? Uh, but he actually scored. He's actually scored now, I believe, three goals in the first couple of games of the season. Uh, but in his first game, he actually tied and tied Marcel Dion when he scored his 731st career goal. 
731 regular season NHL goals. Tied for fifth most in NHL history. 731 NHL goals. That's not many. Just as a comparison, I believe Mm -hmm. it was back in the 2017-18 season. Across 82 games, all of the players on the Boston Bruins, I believe, had a total of 260 goals. 200 and, uh, yeah, something like that. I just, if for those who don't think that he's capable of getting there, I think you need to reconsider. In my opinion, Alex Ovechkin is the greatest goal goal scorer of all time. Not of his time, of all time. And I'd be inclined to agree. Because I can't see, uh, given the quality of goaltending, the quality of opposition player, I I just don't. And 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 it's not just it, it's not just that you look at you you want to go with oh Gretzky's great you know points this that and everything else Gretzky gets Gretzky. Ovechkin is a different style. He is big. He is physical. I don't know that Gretzky did as much hitting and as much physical play as Ovechkin has dealt with throughout his career. No, even though it was a more physical league at the time, um, I still got to say no. And I'm not saying that he shied away from it either. I'm not saying that he was some kind of wuss or something. I don't think Gretzky was. I just don't think that he was as willing a combatant, as willing to engage or be the first to hit. Ovechkin's not shy about coming in and pasting you to the boards while trying to uh, dispossess you of the puck and and getting a shot on net. He's not afraid to go into the corners. He's not. Absolutely not. So a different type of player. And for him to be able to still put up the numbers he's putting up, play the type of physical style that he plays and be as durable as he has been, you have to take all these factors into consideration. And you have to say that, yeah, he got a pretty damn good chance of of catching and surpassing. It's going to take a few more seasons. He's not going to do it just this year. And they always joke. They always joke when he scores his first goal or two of the season. Oh, he's on pace to score 160. He's going to break the record next week. No. Uh, no, not going to happen. It, it will be a long process. and But he's uh, you have to be more than just a, a passing. Uh, you have to think more than just a passing thought that he can do this. Uh, I think you have to give it some serious consideration. And the fact that he's already got three goals in it's either two or three games this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's already on his way. So, yeah, it's been it's going to be a nice thing to talk about all season long. You know, how's he doing? What's he doing? Score, you know, goal scoring wise. Are the Capitals going to be as good as they have been in the past? No, I don't think so. Their speed is way down. Their overall strength is way down. Um, They moved to be they look to be moving and using their powers in a more restrained manner than what we first saw. And that's not to say that, you know, the the guys like, I mean, Oshie is still out there hustling along. Mm-hmm. 
doing his thing, making plays, setting up goals, playing on the power play. Celebrating with his teammates. And celebrating, yes. Nice segue. So, uh, Hendricks Lapierre, rookie for the rookie for the uh, Capitals, um, provided me with a scene in my library of reasons why I love hockey. Lapierre is the Washington's up two nothing on the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Lapierre goes flying up the ice, beats the Rangers goaltender, and goes down in a heap against the boards and TJ Yoshi, who had fed him a pretty good pass. Um, first one back there to congratulate him and just short of one arm yanks him by his Jersey to the, to his skates so that he can give them a celebratory hug. Like that sort of joy in other people's success is 300% why I love hockey and why so many players so many players play beyond the peak of their skills. Um, so you were saying to that, be around. So you were saying that he picked up Lapierre and, and one armed yeah. him or whatever, however you described it. Yeah. Okay. So TJ Oshie is not large. Not large. Six foot, hundred and ninety-five pounds, based on Cap Friendly's numbers. I would judge that both of those numbers are a little tiny bit high. <laughs> but if you go look at Hendricks Lapierre, he's also listed at six feet, hundred and seventy-nine pounds. So it's not like he picked up some Nick Suzuki-sized kid. He didn't or, pick up his three-year-old. <laughs> or Tyler Yamamoto. He picked up he a guy grabbed- his own size. <laughs> and just yanks him up off the ice one-handed, and it's it it's the ridiculous athleticism of these players, and the fact that a great many of them are there for everyone's success and not merely their own. And I, so and, yes, that is on the list of reasons why I love hockey. And I said I actually said the same thing when Omar came out. Now Omar probably expected to be the starter. And for him to come out and the massive hug that he threw around Swayman and the big smile on his face like he was a kid, they just won game one of the Stanley Cup playoff. You know, that enjoyment that he had for Swayman's success. Yes, that's why I love that's why one of the reasons I love the game of hockey, because it can turn any adult into a kid again. And the fact that you can enjoy that success with your teammates, even though you weren't on the ice and you probably expected to be there. Yeah, you had to struggle, but probably still expected to be the starter. Absolutely. You get um, the news that you're not going to. Yeah. And for, not to come starting out, game one, or when you're brought in to a original six franchise that's made the playoffs more times than not in the last 30 years. Um, significantly more than not in the last 30 years. Yeah, you have the expectation when you're the guy with all the experience that you're going to be the number one. And I think Omar has demonstrated that he understood that 
even if he didn't manage to execute. But to to understand that to have to have Bruce Cassidy come to him and say, however he would have said it, to say, look, you know, tonight we're going to go with Swayman. You know, it's first game of the season. We want to set the tone. However he would have said it. It's clearly I know if I were in Omar's position, I probably would have felt a little slighted and to come out and just enjoy the moment the way he did. Yes, that's why that's one of the reasons I love hockey. I completely agree with you on that one. I there is no argument. If if that if that doesn't get somebody excited for the game, then what are you watching for? The fights? I of which there are very very few anymore. Right. Um the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I've been waiting for this one. Okay. Many I, of you remember that Alan Walsh is Perhaps is probably the best known uh, player agent in the hockey universe. Mm-hmm. Um, among his many, many clients, most of them very successful, Marc Andre Fleury. Yeah. Um, but should you happen to see him tweeting on any given night, and he's at Walsha A um, on, on Twitter you can be pretty certain that he's tweeting about one of his guys. Oh, during the playoffs last during the playoffs. Uh, I think he tweeted more than I did during the playoffs last year. Especially. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about two years ago, the pretend offs. I mean, could there have been a bigger cheerleader for Yarrow Halak than nope. Alan Walsh? I thought nope. it was me, but no, I'm, no, <laughs> he outdid both of us. Um, I thought it was me, but this guy, wow, he made me look like a bumbling fool. I mean, it, it just the, – the support that he throws, his players, and it goes all the way. I mean, we all know about the famous now-removed tweet of a particular sword being thrust to, through somebody's back. Um, and the name of the coach uh, on the sword, which was a beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful bit of execution. But now Alan's got now Alan's got something else to say. Alan Walsh has talked about something that you and I have talked about, not just here on the show a couple of times, but off the air and before my website got eaten by the by the Internet uh, gremlins that I had posted about on PuckSage.com a couple of times, mm-hmm. the salary cap. Unlike most professional sports, the NHL has uh, how did Alan? How did uh, Alan Walsh refer to it? A triple hard salary cap. Gary's there's no luxury triple. tax. There's no. It's the number is the number is the number, and it's the number for everyone. It's easier to get around the bottom of the cap uh, or the cap floor than it is to get around the top, which basically you have to do a whole lot of uh, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, in order to happen. In order for that to happen. <laughs> So this morning, as I'm prepping for the show, an Alan Walsh tweet comes along, and of course my eyes uh, light up, and I start wondering what exactly he's going to be talking about today. And he just he not only tweets once; he puts out a series of like six tweets uh, in rapid succession. Um, himself, uh, he's got a couple of he's got tweets from uh, Carlo Kaliakovo. Uh, a former NHL player um, as well. 
uh, in this thread. First, uh, first real tweet in the thread, main issues with a hard salary cap. It allows the team to pay a player less than they could make without a cap. Uh, prevents clubs from rebuilding their rosters as they have unmovable contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number two, three. It's divisive for the players, pitting groups of players, older versus younger against each other. It's no longer about free market value. Every player going, every dollar going to player A on a team is one less for dollar or for player B. Yeah. Um, it forces clubs to get rid of popular players or take a pass on signing players who can improve the club. Fans uh, take a backseat under a cap where capologists rule. Uh, players come and go and winning becomes secondary. Um, we're going to come back to all of these in just a second. Oh, yeah. And then um, the players are forced to accept fixed percentages of revenue but have no say in the running of the business. Um, Gary, and that's Bettman, uh, <laughs> had made some horrible business decisions for the NHL, and the players have no voice in preventing any of these colossal failures. That's verbatim. That uh, in a world turned upside down, uh, leagues now using uh, players' unions – via CBA as a means to impose a salary cap on players. The union becomes the vehicle to restrict players' rights. Would players be better off without a union? Great arguments exist in favor of union decertification. And the last one, uh, the best 750 players in in the world play in the NHL. No one questions the income or places restrictions on the income of the 32 club owners. Why would you have a problem with any of the 750 best players negotiating salaries for their free market value? That's not the number seven I have. Um, that's, the number, the go number, ahead. No, the number seven I have is in 2004, Gary claimed the lockout and the need for a hard salary cap was, <clears throat> air quotes, for the fans. He promised ticket prices would fall in a cap system. He was fighting for you. Listen closely. The primary goal of Gary's salary cap was increasing franchise values. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. (laughs) I'm glad to know that he had that the mission was accomplished. Oh, the the hard salary cap was for the fans. For the fans. Yes, yeah. because the fans who can't understand it to begin with, and, and I'm not saying it, it's because it's so convoluted. It, yes, it's basically it's, it's not so necessarily convoluted that they actually invented a specialty within management uh, for hockey teams to deal with the cap. Oh, you mean the capologist? Yes. Yes. But he's absolutely right. If you give $12 million to Connor McDavid, every dollar of that is a dollar less you can give to somebody the on other, the second line or the third line. The other line. 19 guys who were going to be on the roster that year. That said, now, Alan makes a bunch of really good points here. Set, ticket prices were supposed to go down. <clears throat> I'm just going to pause right here. For a couple yes. of seconds, and when everyone stops laughing hysterically, we'll come back. So continue laughing, people. 
Okay, good. Um, ticket prices were supposed to go down. Down. Um, How do ticket wow. prices fall in a cap, in a cap uh, system? I don't think that the tickets in the teams that didn't exist when the salary cap came into place are cheaper than the original six tickets of the time. Uh, no, just no. The original six tickets, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, wherever, when the salary cap was put in place uh, after the 2005 season, mm-hmm. are, or at that point, 15, 16 years ago, are still more expensive or still more or still less expensive than the tickets anywhere else now. I'm sure that you can walk into Nationwide Arena and get tickets not nearly as expensive as walking into Boston or Toronto or New York or Detroit uh, even. And Detroit has not had a great couple of years. No, but they have a loyal fan base in Detroit, so it there are still people walking in buying tickets. I think their fan, their season ticket fan base may have decreased a little bit, but but my issue is that you lo- you put in this cap system. It's for the fans. We're going to lower ticket prices, okay? But if the cap continues to go up, the teams have to generate the revenue to pay those players because. You have to pay the basically you're going to have to play unless you don't want to succeed. And and even the teams that used to not pay their players, such as Arizona, have found that they have to pay up to or close to the cap in order to compete in this league. In order to pay those players, you have to get revenue from somewhere. Ticket prices are not going to go down because you have to have the funds to pay the players. And a lot yeah. of those funds do indeed come from uh, come from the TV revenue. The ticket sales are not the bulk of are not the bulk of the ticket price of the revenue for the league. But anybody yeah, I, tells you otherwise is full of it. No, nope, um, because. I'm not saying they're the bulk, but they are important. I mean, look at the last two, look at the last year and a half with this whole pause thing and no fans in the stands, uh, no cap increase because there's no money coming in from the turnstiles. If they're even turnstiles anymore, I think you just walk through a metal detector. But with no ticket money coming in, they weren't able to raise the cap. So. Ticket prices, while maybe not the bulk of the money, are an important part of the funds to pay the players. Oh, they are. I, I, I never said that they weren't, but it's easier to raise the price on advertising. Um, and when, when I say advertising, I mean advertising on the ice, on the boards, in the commercials, on the backdrop during the interviews before and after games, and – then during the shows and wherever else that it is uh, that it is to get additional revenue out of. That's why you're seeing those little stickers on their helmets. Ugh, don't even get me started. And at some point you're going to see little patches on their uniform, on their, on their sweaters too. 
GameStop. I, I, so ticket prices. Yeah. Columbus Blue Jackets this season. Yeah. If you want a ticket essentially on the blue line, right uh, directly opposite um, the Blue Jackets bench at home. Okay. Second row for the next home, the next weekend home game. Uh, two sixty-five plus fees, but you can get other tickets in that in that same section uh, for a bit cheaper. In fact, you can get them, and these are direct tickets versus. This is in uh, secondary market. Two sixty-five is second, the actual base value. Not no, that's a secondary market ticket. Okay. But face value, standard ticket. There's a standard ticket available in the second row from the for the back from the back. Actually, a couple of them for 145. And that's face value. That's not. That's, that's face value. Now the New York Rangers, original six team, similar tickets. Um, yeah. Three ninety five. For that second row ticket on uh, next Sunday, uh, the twenty fourth. So it's a hundred and fifty dollars more. Um, and two ninety three for second from the back row tickets, uh, in low in that low section on the blue line. So twice as much. Yes. Yes. And New York Rangers would be one of those original six franchises you were talking about? Original six franchise. So they were here before the salary cap, before the most before the 76 expansions. Um, They've been there forever. They've got their own TV network. They've got the team owns the arena or has part ownership in the arena. However, you want to however you want to construct it. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got a fan base that goes back longer than most people have been alive. Um, they've got residual sales of jerseys for guys who have not played in 30 years. Uh, plus everyone on their roster currently. Um, $395 a ticket. A little bit expensive. Yeah, just a little bit. And these two teams play in the same division, or play in the same conference, rather. Neither one of them is a lock for a playoff spot this year. The Rangers are almost certainly ahead of of uh, Columbus in their rebuild. And, by the way, neither one of these teams is close to the cap. The Rangers are at a projected cap hit of only 72, 72.6 million. That's the and, other part. And Columbus is only at 68.5. So when Alan Walsh says the goal was to increase the value of the franchises, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's and, not wrong. And the and the other and the one that bothers me the most is well number one is a, is a bother pay a player less than they would without a cap 
and I get that. I mean, I understand that that's what the cap is supposed to uh, generate parity. So, yeah, unfortunately, players are not going to get paid as much as if there was no cap and they could just spend willy nilly. Eh, but it n- depends n- on their their negotiating ability or the negotiating ability of their right then of their um, agents agents. You know, like Alan Walsh. But number two is that it prevents clubs from rebuilding their rosters as they have unmovable contracts. You turn around and you pay somebody $10 million a year, <clears throat> Jack Eichel, and, or, or Sergei Bobrovsky or Carey Price. You can't move them because no other team can afford to pick them up. So your team can't afford to move them which means they can't afford to rebuild at that position or any other position. So a team that is struggling, such as the Canadians, who could certainly use some of Carey Price's $10 million to maybe bring in a couple of, of mid-price free agents or use it to, uh, you know, how, you know, use it to build from within and pay their own guys, they can't do it. Because you can't move that contract anywhere because nobody else can afford to take it on. Or no one who's going to give you value because there are teams close enough to the cap floor to be able to absorb a $10 million salary. But then, um, and, and the one thing he leaves out is that they negotiate in the no trade clauses and no movement clauses. So the players don't want to go to those teams anyway. Oh, absolutely not. And now one of the arguments that – we've seen we've talked about for years is that if there were no CBA, if there were no and that even they might even lose it in the negotiations over health care, uh, over who's sitting in the driver's seat for health care mm-hmm. uh, in the next CBA um, is guaranteed contracts. That's the one advantage players in the NHL have over pretty much every other league is that every contract is guaranteed. It doesn't matter whether you're entry-level um, UFA overager coming out of college, 42 years old, um, and playing in your 29th season. It, it doesn't matter. Your contract is guaranteed for whatever yeah. dollar it was signed for. In baseball, in baseball, it, it's it's a it's a question. It, it's questionable. In the NFL, the only it doesn't really exist. The only guaranteed money in the NFL is your signing bonus. The only guaranteed money in the NFL is the what you've already been paid, and that's well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now I think that going with a completely radical solution to shaping or reshaping the CBA probably leads to more destabilization of the league, and we might end up with a. 90s like succession of teams who are having serious uh, financial issues. But one of the things I think I'd mentioned this to you before, I probably wrote about it uh, in the past. I think teams might like the idea of getting a cap credit for players who they drafted and developed themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just hop into our time machine. Uh, the year is 2027. Team number 34 uh, has been in league for three years now. And they managed to sign four amazing UFAs in their offseason. 
Uh, they traded uh, the previous year. They traded for an absolute superstar or two, but 13 of the players on their roster are guys that they signed out of college or drafted in their first couple of years. Entry levels, entry level deals, or just, you know, first or even second contracts for those people who are, who only got two year two year deals uh, because they were UFAs or not drafted in the first, uh, whatever I forget 40 picks or so uh-huh. um, and are on to their next deal. What if teams get a credit against the top of the cap for either the number of maybe it's based on both the number of players drafted and developed by that team or the cumulative years of play uh, for this in the system uh, for those players. So if you have 12 of your 20 man game roster who have been on your team who are drafted, developed 15, you know, there's some of them have already played three years. Some of them have played five years. Take the Boston Bruins, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marsh, and David Pasternak, your best players, the best players on that team. You can extend it a little further. You want to throw in Charlie McAvoy. Awesome. You want to throw in uh, David, uh, Matt Grizzlick. Go right ahead. They got a bunch of them. You could you could keep going. DeBrusque, Frederick. Um, say say you get a five percent credit for each of their contracts once you're past six players towards the cap ceiling. So an in, an incentive for an incentive for keeping your own players and developing your own players as opposed to always going after free agents. Yes. Hmm, I think I kind of like that. And. That the extra money, the cushion money, can be spent on anything or or on any type of player, whether mm-hmm. it's another player in your system or a free agent. Because let's face it, if you take 5% of Bergeron and Marchand and McAvoy's new contract and Grizzlick's deal, just those five, that's a couple extra million dollars over the course of a contract to work with to bring someone in the door. Now, I think that luxury tax like baseball does – is just way too complicated. And I, I was going to say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. My apologies. And I think there's other ways that you can do it, uh, and make it effective and work for work for the NHL, because not everything that works for the, uh, for the NBA is going to work for the NFL. Not everything that works for the NFL is going to work for major league baseball. And certainly a lot of the things that work for Major League Baseball are not going to work for uh, the NHL. And that's actually where I was going to go with my comment is that it sounds to me like Alan Walsh wants to take sort of a hybrid approach. He's taking bits and pieces from the other leagues, the the luxury tax, which is baseball and, and basketball, uh, revenue sharing, which is the NFL, uh, more so that I'm, I'm sure the other I'm sure all the leagues have some form of it. But the NFL, it seems to make the biggest impact there. Yes, the only I mean, one is soft cap. There really technically isn't a cap in baseball, but the luxury tax sort of acts as a cap, so it's a soft cap. Yes. So he, he's he's got this hybrid idea. It sounds like what he's looking for, and I, I like love, it. I would love to see him actually sit down and write out like a two-page idea of what his cap 
situation, his stru- cap structure would look like. I would find that amazingly fascinating. This, whatever you think of his personality, and I love the way that he tweets most of the time. I think that there are very few people who are going to be a as knowledgeable about NHL contracts and players and franchises and all three of those things generalized to sports and B as objective because he knows if the league goes out of business, he doesn't have a job anymore. His players don't have a job. Or it's going to, or it's going to seriously inhibit his earning potential because he's going to only have three leagues or I don't know. I don't know if he has agent uh, players in other leagues, but I honestly think that I know that octagon works across all of the major leagues, but, um, I think that he is fairly exclusively hockey. He might have players in other leagues, but. And but. I did tweet him a question asking about that, uh, about what I mentioned specifically, the credit for homegrown players. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that he'll answer uh, if uh, during the week. Um, I, because I do think that, I think there are ways that you can create um, more value for the teams. And I would even be okay with for teams that are rebuilding for a certain number of years out of 20, um, using the credit for homegrown players only across single seasons at a time uh, for teams towards the cap floor instead of necessarily making them chase uh, really bad deals to take on and trade for and move out a C prospect. Okay. Uh, because we've seen that, and quite frankly, the fake money towards the cap floor, I think, slows <laughs> down. I think it slows down, rebuilds as much as uh, not being able to move someone of your own anyways. Yeah. I like it. I mean, if you take everything that he said and then you throw in number five, Gary yep. has made some horrible business decisions for the NHL and the players have no voice. I think that needs to be another important thing. You have to find a way to let the players be involved in 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 setting this cap up. That way, when they only get paid X number of dollars, they understand that it's because Yes, you can't just allow to spend willy-nilly. It, it, it just won't work. You're obviously going to have teams in huge markets spending three, four hundred million, uh, you know, an exaggeration. But you're going to have teams spending way more than a team in Arizona. The Toronto Maple Leafs could easily spend a hundred million a year uh, based on the current cap of 80 and change, 85 or 83, and build a team. But that doesn't mean they it. competently build a team. But well, yes, if it increases their their jersey and concession sales enough that the revenue share benefits the other 31 teams, what's the problem? Uh, I think I the problem I think the problem becomes that the revenue sharing from that isn't going to help a team in Arizona that still can only spend. 60 cents on the dollar to what Toronto's doing. It might bump but, them up to 75 cents on the dollar, but, but they're the still not. Uh, uh, let me finish. Yeah. They're still not going to have the spending power that Toronto does. So 
even if they both chase the same free agent, Toronto is more likely going to get that free agent because they can offer they can offer a bigger contract based on the fact that, yes, even though they're sharing money to the other team, they can still pay this guy more. It, it, and if it, the player is only not, looking for money, sure. But what in the past 35 years have you seen that shows you that Toronto can build a cup-winning team? I didn't say that Kyle Dubas was competent enough to do that. Because I don't believe that he is. He hasn't shown me any reason to believe otherwise. But, I mean, you keep throwing a dart. You keep throwing darts at a board. Eventually, you're going to accidentally hit the board. Yes, you are. So I think that, yes, there needs to be some sort of guidelines to this. You can't just let every team go because you're going to have the same teams winning their divisions and yeah players desire to win is un uh, unmeasurable but if you only have two or three top-notch talented players and the rest of them are all mid-level as opposed to a team that can spend 120 million and have 10 top-notch players the chances are you're probably not going to win unless you build it wrong like certain GMs that we've already mentioned. Uh, and and that's the thing. I mean, based on the ownership in a couple of franchises, and I'm looking out a little bit further west and still up north, mm-hmm. um, some franchises, even with the best GM, the best coach, and five of the ten best players in the league are not going to win because ownership has their fingers in the pie all the way to the elbow and and is dictating things that make no hockey sense and very little financial sense thinking they can just bludgeon their way to a Stanley Cup. Uh that's yeah. I I think I would be fascinated to see the takes of a couple of different agents and general managers on on a more flexible cap. I'm not saying a complete soft cap. I'm not saying get rid of the CBA because I think it exists for good reason. And I think it protects players, even though in general, I don't know that unions are as useful as they were 50 years ago. Well, technically the NBA doesn't have a union. It's a players association. Uh, The difference between the two is slight And and largely academic. Yes, I was going to say I was actually going to say largely just in the verbiage, but yeah. <laughs> um I would love to see what Alan has to propose. One of the more fun or one of the more interesting stories, it's not going to get a lot of coverage, but I think it's one of those fun things that really only happen here and there. Um Mike Robinson of the uh, UNH Wildcats uh, made 17 saves uh, in the game the other night against the Sun Devils um, before he was ejected from the game. And a goaltender was ejected from the game. Goalie a goaltender barely, was ejected from the game, and honestly, I barely get remember. penalties except for maybe a trip here and there. But I, I don't remember the last time uh, I saw or heard of a goaltender. And this one from not very far away from the schools 
um, from the school's grounds. Uh, he's from Bedford, New Hampshire. They're in Durham. Um, Mike Robinson, also a draft pick of the San Jose Sharks. I was ejected last night for spearing uh, one of his opponents. Spearing? Spearing. Um, wow. Um. <laughs> uh, I, I'm guessing he, that uh, he's he's a he more spirited his, goaltender than some. Is he aware that his stick is bigger than everybody else's? His stick is bigger than some college players. Is he aware that his that he has more pads on than other players? Um, I I would assume so. Yes. Um, I haven't seen behavior like this since Nicholas Svedberg when he was here with the Bruins, and Svedberg thought that he was actually reincarnation of um, Ron Hextall, getting out and fighting and getting involved in in fracases and whatnot. Spearing. Wow. Was there a reason for this spear? I have yet to uncover it, and I did not see the game. Um, but anyone who did, absolutely drop us a tweet, because um, I would love to hear it. You can All even I'm just ga- DM it to me. All um, I'm gathering is that basically he was tired of being scored on because it was like three or four to nothing. He speared, yeah, the article says that he was, they were up, the 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 ASU was up three to nothing, and then he speared somebody. So all I can think is that he was just frustrated by the fact that he was having a bad night. Uh, that appears to be the case. Uh, I think that there were. I know just looking around the league last in the last couple of days, uh, or college hockey in the last couple of days, there have been a good number of goals waved off because. Play uh, forwards have skated into goaltenders, and I don't know if there was contact that was not necessarily called in his favor. Um, in addition to allowing the goals, but yeah, there's no explanation as to what the what led to this spearing incident. So I do find this fascinating and definitely want to follow up on it. And congratulations, Mike. Uh, Mike, you've gotten me to tune into a couple of UNH games. Absolutely, I want to see what's going on with this guy. <laughs> And are the, is the team really that bad, or are they just having a bad night? Uh, speaking of goaltenders, apparently somebody's already been already using the emergency goaltender. Am I missing this? Am I reading this correctly? You Alex- are indeed reading this correctly. Alan Bishop or Alex Bishop of Richmond Hill, Ontario. And the uh, University of Toronto um, was the emergency backup for the Toronto Maple Leafs last night uh, as uh, they had someone unable to participate in the shindig. Um, And yes, we're not even a full week into the into the season and the Toronto Maple Leafs are having goaltending issues. So they've already had to use the emergency goaltender. And they hadn't even hit the first weekend of, that of the NHL me. season. That strikes me as an issue because Jack Campbell is is a very good goaltender. I mean, when they got him away from 
when they got him away from L.A., I thought, okay, the guy's finally going to get his chance to shine because he was stuck behind Jonathan Quick. And then I thought Calvin Peterson was stuck behind him, but he's obviously taking the job. But I figured Jack Campbell, I figured Jack Campbell, here he is, and now he's hurt. Okay. Well, Jack Campbell played. Uh, It's Peter Morazic who was injured, groin injury. Um, And then uh, Justin Hole uh, was out due to illness. Okay. And... Uh, but Michael Hutchinson was needed to start for the uh, the Marlies. Um, <laughs> okay. So 24-year-old Alex Bishop, um, after a couple of seasons in the queue, uh, who is now at the U of uh, Toronto, uh, got to dress and um, open and close the bench door for 60 minutes um, as on a uh, amateur tryout uh, for... The Toronto Maple Leafs. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is going to be a bumpy ride. So did he actually play in the game, or did he just sit sit on the bench? He sat on the bench. Uh, no stats oh, okay. for the night. But you have two goaltenders out. But because Razak went down, he had the first sit. weekend okay. of the season. Two goaltenders. God. I, you know, I'm starting to believe that goaltenders and defensemen just aren't real to the front office of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why? I don't understand why you signed Peter Morazic in the first place. He's never, he's never been that good of a goaltender. I mean, when he started with Detroit, I thought there was there, there I thought there was there was huge potential there. He looked like a really good goalie. He looked like he was going to put up decent numbers. Looked like he was going to be the the guy in net for the future. He was going to take off after Jimmy Howard. And yeah, that didn't happen. He goes to Carolina. He's had injury issues. He's did he had go, did he go to Philadelphia? Did he go to Philadelphia before Carolina? First, um, he, he started off with Detroit. You're right. He went to Philly, then went to Carolina, Carolina, where I think he had his best numbers. Um, yep, nine twenty-three in twelve games in the twenty twenty-one season. Okay. Otherwise, nine oh five uh, and nine fourteen, and back-to-back forty goal, forty forty start seasons or forty game seasons. And but two hundred and seventy-six games played and a nine eleven save percentage. Nine eleven save percentage is. Below average for the top 30, 35 goaltenders in the league these days. Why? (laughs) Why? He's cheaper than Fred Anderson? Yes. Back to the the cap issue? Cheaper than Fred Anderson, I will give you that. Um, But again, why? Because can't because you want Jack Campbell to be in number one, and you don't want somebody taking that role away from him. You know, kind of like the whole Bruins thing that they're going through right now. I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what they saw in Morazic. Maybe they saw that nine twenty whatever and went, "Hey, there's potential there." They shouldn't have. I mean, 
the Carolina have an actual viable defense and Toronto has six guys who are not listed as forwards. Well, that's not true. They have five guys not listed as forwards and they have Jake, Jake Muzzin, who unfortunately gets to play with those five other guys not listed as forwards. I'll give you that one. I feel bad for Jake Muzzin. <laughs> I really do. But yeah, his numbers are just scary all over the place. I mean, aggressively, Matt. He seems to do better. Even no, even the playoffs are mixed. No, he had a nine twenty-five, yeah, then a nine forty-five, then an eight fifty-seven in one game, then eight ninety-four in eleven games. Then he went back to a nine twenty-nine. Then last season he had an eight seventy-three. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what Toronto saw, but then again they've got a pay they've got to pay Matthews and Marner and Tavares and I think we're back to that whole cap issue thing again so Alex Bishop congratulations got yourself on the on the actual roster for the night even if you didn't play got got a full set of equipment out of it or at least most of a set of equipment out of it Uh, you'll have have a jersey probably got got some autographs yeah and let's face it, the core of the team is about the same age he is. Um, maybe if he goes into uh, maybe if he goes into strength and conditioning or uh, starts doing some starts doing something interesting after after uh, his university days, he'll uh, he'll get to reestablish those contacts with them or make further use of them. Um, Anything else that I am missing for us to cover this week? We covered a lot of topics on this week. We covered I mean, a lot of topics this week. Lot, more than lot. usual. Yeah. I mean, and we've even got topics that we're going to move on. Oh, I guess the I guess the, the, the Canadians are injured, but we can go over that next week if you so desire. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll skip to we'll skip that to next week. The injury ninja is uh, alive and well. Even though it's only five days into the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this, ladies, gentlemen, undeclared and undecideds is where we leave you. Have a great week. 